Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. We had a lot of announcements today. I got one more announcement. This is uh, for Saving Grace 101 which is a class, a kind of a get-to-know-the-church class. It's a six-week class that we um, run at least twice a year. And the whole purpose, if you're new to the church or you're thinking about getting more involved with the church, this would be a class we would highly encourage you to attend. It's taught by, uh, each class is taught by one of the pastors, and it meets in different church members' homes. And the first class is on February 11th at 7 p.m., and it's at my house. So you're all invited to my house, 7 p.m., February 11th, and if you're interested in coming, uh, please sign up at the Welcome Center today, and we'll get you signed up, and you can also sign up on our website. So um, I know it's cold, I know it's the middle of winter, um, but you probably don't have anything else to do at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday evening, so please check that out, or Tuesday evening, um, 7 p.m. February 11th. If you have a Bible, flip to Acts chapter 10. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for sending Jesus to live and die for us. Thank you that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and speaks to us and encourages us and gives us power to obey your word and um, love one another. And so we ask for help today from uh, your spirit. Both ask that you would help me to preach your word, help us all to apply your word, and we will give you all the glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. The title of the, the message, we're in the series in the book of Acts. So this is Acts chapter 10. The series is called Go and Tell. And the title for this message is entitled Barriers Have Been Broken. Barriers Have Been Broken. So what would you guys think if I said, hey, today after church, free lunch for everybody here. Okay. It's a cold, wintry day. You might be hungry already. So I'm going to offer you a free lunch after church today. There's only two catches, okay? So pay attention. The two catches are you have to eat everything in front of you. So that's catch number one. It's not, not that big a deal. Catch number two, maybe a little bit bigger deal. Um, the main course for our free lunch today is guinea pig. I'm guessing that if we were having pizza, more of you would participate. But if we're having guinea pig, show of hands, how many think that's kind of gross, eating guinea pig for lunch? Yeah, we think it's gross. I think it's gross. I had a guinea pig named Fluffy when I was in fifth grade. And I can honestly say there was not a moment in my fifth grade year when I got hungry and I thought, hey, Mom, do you think you could cook Fluffy for dinner tonight? It never crossed my mind. Why is that? Because we live in a culture where we don't eat guinea pig. It's not a normal thing. I did a little research. Uh, Last year, or 2018, in Peru, guess how many guinea pig were eaten? All of them. All of them were eaten. (laughs) I heard a million. 65 million guinea pig were consumed in Peru. So it's just a thing. 
And uh, our culture has a lot to do with our maybe disgust, if we think about eating guinea pig. Uh, it's the way we grew up. It doesn't seem normal. If I saw a guinea pig on a plate, it's not the same as a steak or a chicken or a turkey or a trout. It just does something kind of inside of you that, that makes you feel kind of sick about it. Well, why in the world am I talking about this? <laughs> like, this is the strangest sermon introduction I've ever heard. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember that gross, repulsive feeling that you have inside of yourself if I put fluffy on a plate in front of you, okay? I want you to keep that feeling and that thought as we work our way through um, our passage in Acts 10. Because we're going to see in a little bit that the Apostle Peter is going to have a feeling similar to our guinea pig feeling, but it's going to be multiplied by about a bazillion of repulsion to something that the Lord is going to ask him to do. And for us to really appreciate it, we have to connect it with something that, that makes sense to us, that is, that is more normal to us. Because what we're going to see in Acts 10 is that God is going to break down some serious barriers uh, through the good news of Jesus Christ. The first point is this. Jesus came to rescue people from every tribe, tongue, nation, you know those three, and political affiliation. He came to rescue people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and political affiliation. He came to rescue people from all walks of life, all kinds of life. The reason I added the political affiliation is because, as you know, we're going to be in an election year. We are in an election year. And we as Americans, we don't do well. And I think as Christians, we don't often do well in loving each other and keeping the idea that we have the good news of Jesus to reach all sorts of people, all kinds of people, no matter their preferences, no matter their political bent or affiliation, no matter what they put on Facebook or, or what they say on Twitter, we're called to kind of rise above that and share the good news. So I'm going to poke at that a little bit throughout the morning. Because Jesus came to rescue people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and political affiliation. The best way to think of Acts 10 is pictured as a movie. We're going to jump from different scenes. We're going to be in two different towns. One's Joppa and one is Caesarea. They're about 30 miles apart, so picture one south, one north. And Luke is going to take us back and forth, and I want you to picture these scenes as we walk through it. So, verse 1. This is scene 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. It's going to be a centerpiece of Acts 10 a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God and all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. So who is this guy, Cornelius? Well, Luke gives us detail. He's a centurion. He is a, a Roman commander who is in charge of about 100 men, and he's stationed at a port city, to represent and, and represent Rome's interests and protect Rome's interests. He was part of an Italian cohort. That All that means is six groups of 100 put together. So about 600 men were stationed there. And 
they were there to represent and protect Roman interest. Now, if you remember in the Bible where the, the word legion is used, a legion is 6,000 soldiers, so that's 10 cohorts. So this is a man who was responsible. He was a military man. He was a tough man. He was a hand-picked man to be in charge of a group of soldiers to protect Roman interest. He was not a Jewish man. But what's unique about this man is that he feared God. So he was a centurion who feared God, and though not Jewish, he had learned a lot about God, the true God, and he was devout in his pursuit of God. He wasn't yet a Christian, but he would pray regularly. And look at verse 3. Something happened one day as he was praying. About the ninth hour, this is 3 p.m., of the day, he, he saw clearly a vision. An angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So Cornelius, a Roman commander, is praying, and God sends an angel to him. For a very specific reason. And, and I want you to think about a couple things. First, think about this, that as we heard over and over again this morning as we were singing and people were sharing, God hears our prayers. God heard the prayers of a non-Christian Roman commander. How much more will he hear your prayers if you are a son or daughter of the king of the universe. When Wade shared, one of the last things he said about prayer is that God can do wonders with our prayers. See, we should always remember that we have full access through Jesus Christ to God's ear. God is attentive. He's an attentive father who hears us when we pray to him. But God also is a holy God. And God knew, and the angel knew, that there is only one way for Cornelius to have a saving relationship with the living God. And this, this is what Luke writes in Acts 4. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, the Bible is crystal clear. That Jesus Christ is the only way to have a relationship with our maker. He's the, like picture a big fortress with one door to get in. He's the door. He's the only way. So it wouldn't be a true statement to say there are many ways in to the fortress or many ways into a relationship with God. No, there's only one way. And the reason there's only one way is because Jesus himself is the only one who properly dealt with human nature. See, all other religions and philosophies basically can be summed up into some sort of workspace system. If you do this or don't do this, if you empty your, your mind of this or you fill your mind with this, it's, the emphasis is always on something we do or don't do. With Christianity... 
The Bible is basically saying there's nothing you can do that will be enough to enter heaven, to enter a relationship with the living God. There has to be another way, and the other, the other way is Jesus, who came into earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, opened the door wide for any who would trust in him and follow him. See, Jesus came to rescue people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and political affiliation. He loves to save. What, what the, the 12 apostles are learning, what Peter is about to learn, what we see unfolding in the book of Acts, is that God wants to save a large multitude of people. And he wants to save all sorts of people, not just Jewish people. And one of the things that's striking in this passage is God could have had the angel share the gospel with Cornelius. It could have been that simple. Cornelius, you've been praying to God. That's a good thing, but you need to come through faith in Jesus. Oh, okay, I'll start doing that. But instead, he's going to orchestrate a connection between the apostle Peter and Cornelius. See, God always loves to use human beings to bring the good news to one another. And what we're going to see is Peter is going to learn some massive things about this interaction. Look at verse 5. So the angel's still talking. And now send men to Joppa, that's where Peter is, and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So the angel gives some instruction. God's heard your prayers. Now here's some things I want you to do. I want you to travel 30 miles south, bring Peter, and bring him back to your house. Now that may not seem like a big deal to us, but I want you to get that guinea pig feeling again, that repulsive feeling. What the angel is telling Cornelius to do is invite Peter, who is Jewish, into your unclean Gentile home that will defile him just by, by stepping into your home. See, even, even the, the Jewish people would have believed that even dirt that belonged to a Gentile was defiling. And Peter is having this, this major world shift happening, and it's all captured in the book of Acts. So, so far, Peter has come to terms that even the Samaritans can be brothers and sisters in Christ. That was a big deal. That was a racial barrier that had been broken down. And Luke gives us this little detail that we can miss too, that Peter, as all this is happening and the gospel is starting to explode in Joppa, he's living with a guy, staying with a guy named Simon a Tanner. A Tanner is basically some, someone who is regularly touching and, and dealing with dead animals. So for a Jew by, by birth like Peter, he would have known just to, to be around that man would have made him ceremonially unclean. And so the Lord is just destroying barrier after barrier. One way to look at the book of Acts, this is in my simple brain, as you read it and you're starting to work through the chapters, think of it like popcorn popping. So you know, like at least at our house, sometimes we do that old 80s air popper thing. Sometimes we do the, the microwave. Sometimes we do the pan on top of the stove. But you're, you're watching and you're pop, 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 
pop, pop, pop, pop, pop, pop, pop, pop. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. The gospel is going out and people are beginning to respond. And that's what the Lord intends to this present day in 2020. That's why we're in the book of Acts. Because we have this treasure we want to share and we want to see the same thing happen over and over again. Okay, so look at verse 7. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius listened to the angel. Okay, guys, you're going to go on a trip, 30 miles. We're looking for this guy, Peter. Go find him, bring him back. So that's scene one. We're about to switch scenes. And when we switch scenes, I want you to think throughout this whole interaction of these two um, places, what's happening in Caesarea, what's happening in Joppa, I want you to to think how the Lord is at work in orchestrating both of them so they're going to fit perfectly together. There's a supernatural thing happening the whole time that this is unfolding. And what we're going to see in point two is Jesus is is just going to obliterate every barrier. He's going to break it down. So verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So Cornelius already sent his guys to find him. Peter's up on the rooftop. And he began, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. So I love how human Peter is. So he's, he's up there, he's supposed to be praying and he's thinking about food. He wants a Big Mac. He's hungry. Normal human response. But then verse 10 says, But while they were praying, he fell into a trance. Something supernatural again is happening. And he's about to have a vision from God that's going to wreck his Jewish upbringing, what he understands from the Old Testament. Verse 11 captures the vision. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. So here's what's in the, the vision. There were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So that'd be kind of interesting. It's not, nothing earth shattering is happening yet. But what he says in verse 13 is about to wreck his world. This is like guinea pig on a platter. Verse 13, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Now keep in mind, we've followed Peter's journey from being one of the closest disciples of Jesus to denying Jesus, then the risen Jesus restored him, and Peter is all in at this point. He loves Jesus, he loves preaching Jesus, he loves making disciples, he loves it. He's super obedient at this point. So what he is about to say is shocking. So in the vision, the Lord says, kill and eat, verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. This is Jesus, who he is following all over. Wherever Jesus tells him to go, he's going. Whatever Jesus tells him to do, he's doing. But now he says, by no means, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. See, he feels this at such a deep core level 
that we need to, to get. There, there's something massively happening here. And Peter, as a Jew, would have known this verse in Leviticus 20, 25, and, and really the whole, the whole law. Um, Leviticus 20, 25 says, You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart from you as unclean. So this was so deeply ingrained to him. And Jesus addresses this when he was on earth, and we're going to see that in a moment. But you just need to get that he would have felt. He wouldn't have just intellectually understood, I don't know if I can do that. He would have felt something deep inside of him. This just does not feel like something I should do. But the Lord repeats himself. Verse 15. And the voice came again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So we have this repetition, this three-time repeated command. God is making a point. We see this throughout the Bible. We see it in Isaiah when, when God is called holy, holy, holy. The repetition is to underscore. It's like bold and italicized and font 72. Get the point. God is declaring things clean that once were unclean. And what Peter's dis discovering is God's talking a lot more about a lot more than just food. He, he's talking about the human race. But before we get into that, Notice how both Cornelius and Peter, Peter wrestles a little bit more, but they both obey. They both respond in obedience. They both are doing what the Lord has commanded them to do. They're both taking risks for the Lord, and we're going to see that risk played out in a moment. And that is a great example for us. We need to take risk. We need to be bold, we need to especially take risk with breaking down these barriers. See, Jesus came to, to break down the barriers of race and ethnicity and social preferences and political affiliations and all the things that divide us. I mean, it can be so small as the particular high school you graduated from. I grew up in a school called Dallas Town in eastern Pennsylvania, and I knew from birth that York Suburban and York Catholic were not to be liked. They were to be hated. And so my kids are runners, so we, we go to states, and there's York Suburban, and there's York Catholic. And I'll have those same judgmental, self-righteous, elite feelings that are wrong, that the Lord wants me to love people no matter their school affiliation. That, that's kind of a humorous example, but think of the, I mean, if you go onto Facebook, if I go into Facebook on my Facebook account with however many friends I have, and I say, I love Bernie Sanders. Boom! If I say, I love Donald Trump. Boom! See, I have friends that are very diverse and relatives in their political affiliations and understanding. 
I'm not saying it's wrong to have freedom of speech, but for Christians, we want to put all our stakes, all our weight, all our emphasis on Jesus and who he is. And the mark of a Christian is to be love. And so even if we disagree with somebody's understanding or position of politics or whatever it would be, we're to love them and to engage them and understand them, have a conversation with them, ask them, well, how'd you land where you landed? Here's how I landed where I landed. And sometimes I'm, I'm shifting on certain things. Whatever it would be, remember, we're to be different. We're to be unified in Jesus Christ. That's one of the big things that's happening here in Acts 10. So God is making a big, loud statement to both Peter, Cornelius, and all their friends and family that are going to watch this whole thing happen. And see, Jesus had already made this clear to them, but they're fuzzy. They're slow learners, kind of like us. Just because I was told something doesn't mean I got it, right? So, Jesus said this in Mark 7. He called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. In other words, eating bacon, eating shrimp, not going to defile you. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then do you, are you also without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Kind of gross what he's about to say. But since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and it's expelled. He eats it, he goes to the restroom. That's what Jesus is saying. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So it's not external religion, but it's the human nature that defiles. From within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, within, and they defile a person. See, Jesus knew that. The whole reason he came was to change this, what is wrong at the core of humanity. And he's the only one who can do that. So we've got these two worlds Cornelius the centurion, Roman commander, Peter the apostle, and the Lord is bringing the two worlds together. Look at verse 17. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision um, that he had seen might mean, so he has this vision, Cornelius sent men, but they haven't intersected yet. The men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, look at the Lord's timing, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter's like, oh, you know, I don't know what to do with these lizards and these birds. And, and then knock, knock, knock at the door. And without hesitation, Peter responds. See, I think some of the times for us as Christians— We hesitate, we delay, we don't do what the Lord is prompting us to do. We can learn from Peter here that without hesitation, he responds. 
a lot of our problem is overthinking things. So if the Lord prompts you to go say hi to somebody on a Sunday you don't know, without hesitation, do that. If you're in the grocery store and somebody just looks overwhelmed by life, without hesitation, are you okay? Is there any way I could pray for you? Without hesitation, you respond. The Lord's Spirit is inside of us, and He wants to give us strength to respond without hesitation. So Peter's going downstairs. Verse 21, And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who is spoken of well by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. In other words, they're trying to like sugarcoat this. So Peter might have not come if it was just a centurion, a Roman who hates Jewish people and uh, is just a mean, tough guy. So they're, they're padding it by saying things like, He's an upright, God-fearing man, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. How would they know that? Every person in the Jewish nation likes Cornelius. Was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you had to say. So he invites the unclean Gentiles, that part's not in the passage, to be his guests. They're coming in too. So the barriers are starting to crumble for Peter. 30 miles north, we're going back. Verse 23, the next day he rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter's taking a group with him. And following the day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. I love Cornelius. And he had called together his relatives and close friends. He's packing the house. An angel spoke to me, has something to do with this guy, Peter. He's coming to our house, so let's pack the house and hear what he has to say. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshipped him. So Cornelius' theology is a little off. So Peter walks in the door, and he drops to the ground and starts worshipping him like he's Jesus himself. But Peter, verse 26, lifts him up, saying, Stand up! I, too, am a man. Like, what are you doing? Get up. I, too, am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many people gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful, so they're aware of this, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter's acknowledging the elephant in the room. You guys know, and I know, that I shouldn't be here. But God's made it abundantly clear that I should be here. So I'm here. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you send it to me? So, so why'd you call? So Peter is all in. He is taking risk for the Lord. And Cornelius is going to recount what happened. Verse 30. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house on the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by 
the Lord. I mean, talk about an easy opportunity for Peter. Ears are wide open. Tell me, I gathered everybody. Here's Aunt Martha's over here. Uncle Bob's over here. I brought them all in. Start talking, Peter. We want to hear what the Lord has prompted you to share. Verse, or point number three is Jesus offers forgiveness to all without partiality. He offers forgiveness to all. To everyone. If you come to Jesus by faith and repentance, he offers forgiveness to everyone without, without partiality. We know as pastors and, and you know as Christians that on Sanctity of Life Sunday, it's, a, it's always a difficult subject to navigate. We know that there may be some in this room or who are watching who have men who have encouraged abortions or women who have participated in abortions and, and you feel horrible because of it. And you feel just horrible. But, but some of you are Christians. And here's what I want you to know, and you're going to see this in this passage. When I say, when the Bible says Jesus offers forgiveness to all without partiality, that, that's real forgiveness. That is, no matter what you have done, no matter how bad you feel about what you have done, if you have taken that to Jesus, if you have trusted in Jesus and turned from your life of rebellion, he, it may be a long, long time ago, he washes it clean. You are truly forgiven. You are not a second-class son or daughter. You're not a son or daughter who's invited in but asked to sit way in the back. He forgives you. Jesus paid for all your sins. Every single one. And so I want you to hear that loud and clear. So central to the good news of Jesus. We have good news, amazing news, that all your sins, past, present, and future, can be covered and forgiven by the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. By the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you can be completely washed clean. Might you have remorse? There are things in my life I have remorse about, but I feel truly, completely, deeply forgiven. The Lord wants you to experience the same thing. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every political affiliation in the United States, anyone who fears him and does what is right and is acceptable to him. As for the word that is sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee after the baptism John proclaimed, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So he's just recounting what Jesus did while he was on earth. He's just rearranging people's lives. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, 
not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as his witness, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, the apostles. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he was the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Every single person who believes in Jesus, trusts in Jesus, turns to Jesus, calls on Jesus, receives the forgiveness of sins. The opposite is also true. Everyone who rejects Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, no matter how nice, how kind, how good, does not receive forgiveness of their sins, is not all right with the living God, does not go to heaven, will be punished for their sins. So how should we respond to all this? Well, the first thing, if you don't know the Lord, you should call out to him. You should run to him. You should ask him, Lord, I I see it sort of, it's fuzzy. Would you make it real to me? Would you make it crystal clear that, Jesus, you're the answer to all my greatest problems? For those of us who know the Lord, we should marvel at his grace and mercy. This should never get old. The new song we sang this morning, it just had this just new ways of saying the old, old story of just this great good news reality that we are pardoned, paid for, bought, forgiven, cleansed. That is wonderful news. Because of that, we should walk out the unity that Christ has purchased for us. So we should be united with other brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus Christ, starting with us locally in this church, but throughout our community, throughout our nation, throughout our world, centered around Jesus. We want to walk out that unity. Jesus said, this is how they'll they'll know that you're, you're my disciples, by the way you love one another. I mean, think, starting on January 19th, just apply that with political stuff you see on social media from here till the next president is elected. How different it would be if every Christian engaged these things in a very loving, humble, unifying way. And then we should go and tell the world about Jesus without hesitation. If you have that prompting, that, I think I should do this. Lord, help me to do this. I'm going to do this right now. And be bold. There's been many times where I haven't done it. There's been many times where I have responded that way. Just recently, I felt like the Lord wanted me to write a letter to an aging relative and just share the gospel with him one more time. And he's, he's older, and his eyesight's not great, so I typed it out. I put it in big font. Um, and then I called him. I was kind of like, just set it out there, see what happens. Hadn't heard back. And he, he was very receptive. He said, here's where I have it. He showed me. He said, I'm reading it, thinking about it. And, and he may go to heaven because without hesitation, I responded. Now, I have known him my entire life. I'm 43 years old. I've known him, or he's at least known me, every day I've been alive. 
be bold. Ask the Lord this week, what's one thing you could do that would help promote the good news of Jesus? So let's pray. Next week, we're going to continue through the Acts uh, 10 and have the band come up. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you orchestrate all kinds of events so that we can know you and that more people can encounter you. Lord, help us as a church to marvel in your grace, to be bold in sharing the gospel, and to watch you transform lives. We will give you all the glory. And Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing.